This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. Um, but, but his list was, was nothing special. Um, actually... Wow, that's just hurtful. I take it back, <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. It is, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why on your said break, that. KYT. You got cold. I, I did. I did. I mean, I don't know what happened. Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mise they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And you're like, fuck. How does that go? Bang! Fuck. <laughs> Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, want to, I never, ever want to play in another GP. And Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic too. I'm like, I just like, I die. I die. I was like like just melting on the inside like that I have inspired this kid to play magic and now the A-Team I'm bringing sexy back hey this is the A-Team number 260 hey it's Jerry Matt and KYT hey where the fuck is Jay oh he's gone again hey hey everybody okay it's Jeremy Scumbag Schofield coming at you Edmonton Alberta woo I've got well Mr. KYT. That was nice. That was nice. And the Grammy goes to. No, no, no Grammys, man. That's almost as bad as trapped in the closet, man. That was bad. Uh, we also I love got that shit. Unofficial member, Mr. Matt Mendoza. And Hello? official member Jay Bush isn't here. But Matt, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. So that was the first time I've ever experienced a sexy back intro in the in person and i i feel i feel i feel both hot and a little dirty <laughs> okay good it's, it's nice it's nice my, my thought process on it was uh we've had a long break everybody knows that everyone listening in listener land knows that and they're going to be pressing on the button and they're going to get the a team show come up and they're going to be like oh yeah this feels really good and then they're going to hit that moment and then they're going to be able to make that choice whether like do i have what it takes to listen to another episode of the A-Team, or should I just turn and run right now? That's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to put it out there to the Joe <laughs> okay. to say, you know, do you have what it takes to go through another year of this with us? Because we want you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I would love Kyle to take that. We want you out of context. We want you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling hot. <laughs> So three uh, weeks. It's been a I while. I enjoyed my break. I enjoyed my break, uh, Matt. It's, <laughs> it's been over a month for me. Like I've, I've what five weeks? Because I had yeah, like, I, those like super awkward night shift thing going on. Don't worry, listeners. Dealt with that. Got laid off. Am a bum. Eating the uh, unemployment. <laughs> doing it for you. 
You, know, you just yeah, don't have to worry about shifts anymore. No, man. No, man. <laughs> no, I'm good. So I'm going to try and uh, take advantage of my free time. I've already started doing some judging again, played in a couple GPTs, grinding some more magic online. Um, wow. Yeah, so definitely making up on some lost ground. I uh, might talk to the wife tonight about uh, running back uh, good old Vancouver. Um, I was just looking at prices and everything like that. So I've got a bunch of WestJet credit. So I think I'm uh, going to try and make that trip. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I was really bummed one time because I was coming back from, uh, I can't remember where I was coming back from, but there was a flight, an Air Canada flight. No, it was from Quebec City. I was coming back. And there was a Air Canada flight from Toronto to Indy that was delayed and was oversold by one or two. And yeah. it was a 45-minute flight or something like that, and they had a broken bathroom, but they were offering an $800 credit to anybody who would willingly be bumped. And I'm wow. like, oh, my God. I'm, like, talking to the old guy next to me. I'm like, you need to take that. You need to take that. <laughs> yeah. You need to take that. Well, like, it's like, uh it's wild because, like, if I was in some sort of position where I could, like, take, like, a whole quarter and just, like, travel the world doing the Magic Tournament thing, uh, that's a big part of it. You know, the whole trying to get your flights bumped and trying to get onto oversold uh -huh. flights and everything. What was it, 2012 or 2013 that Jeff Foster actually made money flying all year? I did not know because that. That is insane. Believable. Yeah, like, insane. Yeah. Oh, oh no. We've got... Uh, I apologize to everybody. I have a, a child who is trying to infiltrate uh, the 18 West <laughs> Studios. I, I thought you said bye. What? I thought you told her that you needed her to go. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I, I explained to her very, uh, very directly. I enunciated well to uh, let her know that I was podcasting. And I don't understand where she hasn't picked that up in her two and a half years of life on this planet. So. Ah, <sighs> can't win them all. I just have cats with bells. Those you have cats with bells. I put bells on them over the over the break. That's exciting. Like, oh, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your your good eyes are going to GP Vancouver. It's limited, and it's the week right after the new set releases. So it's going to be lots of Oath of the Gatewatch fun for you. It's it's almost like the perfect storm, you know. Last time Abyssin Restored was right after Abyssin Restored came out, and I hadn't played much of it, so I'll probably get the chance to play more of it this time. But, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> have, you, have you checked, looked over? Like, I, I've always said on, on the A-Team that I've not... A, a big spoiler guy. I, I like to be sort of. I don't know if it's just out of laziness or just uh, the the cheap excuse is ah, I want to be surprised at the pre-release. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, frankly, the truth is I just don't give a shit because it's not like I get to. I know I'm not going to get to touch the cards anyway. So why get you know a little too excited? But a lot of people do. Have you looked at the spoiler at all and, and all the new fancy mechanics with the with the wasteland and stuff? Well. <laughs> It's funny because, like, I know where you're going with, like, the whole concept of the colorless mana and generic mana and how the, that all plays into this stuff. And the cards look really cool. But I think that we're in a really, really cool opportunity here. And the cool opportunity is that some of the stories that are going to come from limited GPs 
in this two-set block are going to be some of the most ridiculous things you hear. You're going to have a guy who's going to drop some like decent one or two drop, and then is going to proceed to strip mine and then wasteland his opponent. Because you can open those in sealed. <laughs> you can open an expedition and you get to play the damn thing. So when your opponent drops an ancient temple on two and starts ripping you to pieces because he's curving out big on you, you're just going to rip your hair out. <laughs> it's like the pack rat museum mortars of this whole like block is going to be the fact that you get access to like these crazy lands. Like the old lands in, in Battle for Zendikar were fantastic, but Oath of the Gatewatch, like you're getting some wonky things. Even like an Eye of Ugin is going to be just ridiculous for like a, a sealed type tournament. But I'm just waiting to get strip mined. I'm just waiting for someone to strip mine me. Like it's, it's going to blow my mind. I don't know. I think there's a there's the I would like to open the uh like Eldrazi Temple or Ayavugan uh ancient tomb pool with like Eldrazi. I think that would be fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, there's <laughs> just gonna be a lot of like really like and then this happened and it would be what? No, that can't happen. Yeah, it just happened. So Well, I, I didn't even like, think about this. It's yeah. been out for so long. I didn't even think about this uh uh, implication of implication these of stories. expeditions and the fact that they are common enough that there's going to be some of them there's probably going to be at least one of each of those lands in the whole gp like throughout the entire main event there's going to be at least one of each of them out there and there are going to be people who are going to be like oh you'll see the 90 deck list it's like oh yeah he had a wasteland strip mine okay that must have been fun like <laughs> so I i'm really interested to see how that kind of plays out uh, what you know impact that that is going to have um, if it has an impact at all it definitely should um, I, I just think it's really really funny so man I didn't even catch any of this on, on Twitter or, or I didn't feel it in, in my discussion with my friends or anything okay, like they just friends. said just they just yeah. said they were going to be illegal it just seems like ancient tomb is just pretty pretty nuts yeah <laughs> yes, yeah, it, yeah it, it, it is and it taps for two colorless mana. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. I have, I mean, I guess this is, uh, you finally got me a bit uh, into the getting prepared part where I usually don't care about anything until <laughs> until the day of the pre-release, but, but you've got me hyped now. Yeah. You've got me hyped here. Like, there's something to be said about, like, I can't wait to go to, to pre-release. And, like, play with all these people who play kitchen table and don't really come out to tournaments because it's not really their scene. And then get the opportunity to strip mine them off of their, like, lone color oh. or their slash or their, their second color. Like, <laughs> I, I can't wait to do these wonderful things that Magic as a game has tried to insulate the new players and community from. The, uh, the wonderful art of land death, as Conley Woods would put it. I, I can't wait to have the opportunity to share that part of magic history with new players. <laughs> oh, I, I have, I have dreams of plow unders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man. Have you already pre-ordered some of these expeditions, uh, Jared? No, I don't pre-order expeditions. Okay. I pre-order boxes. I'm kind of a, a loser that way, but that's the only way. Well, Anyone kind of in our spot, if you want to get lots of cards, if you want to get the cards for 
plain standard or whatever the case may be, buying boxes really is kind of the sucker's way to go about it. You don't really get the value. And that's what the MTG Finance hashtag guys are going to go on about. But I like my Korean cards. And the only way that I can get that is buying boxes because there ain't no market for Korean singles. Well, there is a market for it. It's just ridiculous. It's not in touch with reality. You know what I actually I had a, actually had a thought this week and I uh, thought of you, Jeremy. I'm, you know what I'm really excited about? What's that? Whoa. Foil, Japanese, and Korean wastes. <laughs> yeah, those would be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. hope to rip at least one or two of them. Um, <laughs> although I don't think the card will actually see play. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking EDH. I'm, I'm thinking way long term. EDH maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, if you had like a, a bunch of them and they acted as like your basic lands for that deck, that would be kind of mm-hmm. cool. Some sort of like Emrakul or Kozilek type Ulamog commander Karn. deck. Karn? Karn can't be a commander. He's a planeswalker. No, he's a legendary creature. Karn, oh, Silver Golem. Karn? Oh. Yeah, the good Karn. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the OG oh. Karn. Yeah, I know. The I original know, Golem. I know, who, I know? know who OG Karn is. Come on, I play brutal cards. That was like my MO, is playing brutal cards. So I know who OG Karn is. It's just, uh, it's OG Karn. You know? <laughs> so... He was kind of like, he was a commander because there wasn't anything else. There wasn't any other option. Uh, you could play Memnite. Or um, not Memnite, Memnark. You could play Memnark. Memnark. Yeah. I do like that they gave us the, uh, the ally uh, legendary, which was nice. To, you know, give everybody their five-color ally deck for EDH. Yeah. yeah. And it tutors, which is pretty cool. Yeah. What do you think of the the mechanic overall? Do you think it might be, is it confusing to some of the newer players? Or um, are you pretty excited about it? Like this, well, the tough part is is that there's a lot of people who are going to have a tough time understanding the difference between generic and colorless mana. I don't. You don't? No, no, I have trouble. You have trouble? (laughs) I might, I might. Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having trouble with it. Like, that's kind of a tough concept because for the longest time, they've been one and the same. You know, you've always referred to it as, whenever we do spoilers, we would always refer to a card as, you know, one black and three colorless. Yeah. When in reality, it was one one black and three generic. So we just have to change around the lexicon. There was a lot of, we had our judge meeting on Sunday. Uh, it's something that we do like once a month. All the judges at Edmonton get together and just have a few beers, order some food, play some games, and just talk about judge-related items, find judges for, like, book judges for different events. And there was some talk about, okay, how is this going to cause people trouble? And everyone at the table pretty much agreed that it's going to give me a real hard time because I'm on the the content side of things. And the way that we talked it changes our lexicon. So. I don't know, though. I'm, I'm on the, the train of if it's colorless, specifically, you just identify that. So, for example, Plow Under costs 3GG, whereas uh, the new you can do that. That's fair. Eldrazi I- is 8 colorless colorless. So, okay. I mean, that, yeah. that's how I would go about doing yeah, it. Yeah, you, you, can, you can short form it for sure. I think that's completely reasonable. I think that's completely fair. 
the the three GG. That's awesome. We can work around with that. Hmm. Yeah, I actually the the one the one problem I'm having with these cards and like the influx of colorless cards is that I'm having problems. I'm like, oh well, it, the new namelesses are inversion, for example. Yeah. I can just throw that in a deck, right? Like warping whale, I can just throw that in a deck, right? And just cast no. it. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. You can't do that. Can't do that. You got to actually think about how you want to do that. And that that I think is going to be the most difficult part of of uh. You know, it's it's definitely a, a large change in how we think about deck building and how we think about cards that we can play. Um, and that we look at colorless cards and we look at artifact cards and we basically have those earmarked mentally as cards that can go in any deck. And that is now no longer the case. The funny thing is, is that if I wanted to play some of these cards in modern, like the what was a warping whale that you mentioned, like that card seems like it's very playable. Uh, the four drop, uh, the thought not seer. That guy seems like he's very playable. Um, those cards there, uh, spatial contortion. Uh, that's the uh, the nameless inversion. Again, yes. very playable card. And I sit there and I, I stop and I go to myself like, okay, how do I make this work in modern? Because I have to use colorless mana. And if I was a speculating guy and doing that kind of stuff, my immediate thought where I see it is that I want to play more filter lands. Because those do produce colorless mana. Okay. So that's that's the way that I kind of look at that, is that I feel like I'm probably just going to use more filter lands in my decks just so that I have that colorless source to support these colorless cards I'm going to be bringing in. Okay. So if you have filter lands, might be good to hold on to them or get more of them if that's kind of something you think can work for you. Now, that does... Just remind, remember that that does actually change your mana base a little bit too. Oh yes, absolutely. How you build your deck. Yeah, learn to love to mulligan. I do. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, overall, I mean, I I looked over the set basically all day today, and I'm I'm pretty stoked. Um, I'm disappointed in the allies. I think that a lot of that the allies um, cohort is way worse for constructed. Um, I don't know if there's a single ally-themed card that I would play uh, in a standard constructed allied deck um, because it was an ally. But I don't know. It seems a li- interesting for limited, but I don't know. I suspect that the format's going to get a lot slower. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, slow. Still slow. Hasn't gotten any faster. Okay. I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> I will tell you next week once I jam a midnight pre-release or something. <laughs> but uh, so far, like, just a quick scan. Uh, I, have the, I have the same opinion as you, uh, Matt. But I am excited for, for a particular card, particular cards and, and, and their implications. Uh, outside of standard, some that may or may not be modern playable. What are you looking so, at? Um, I'm 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 laughing at because uh, one of the funny tweets that I did uh, last week or so was to Shaheen Surani over Reality Hemorrhage because he always touts you know Core Firewalker as his best friend against mono red decks <laughs> and that he would buy the whole world of them and here we are we have a a, 
a card that like seems specifically to deal with it, it being colorless, so poor Firewalker doesn't even get a life as it dies. Um, of course, this is a pretty specific answer yeah. to, to a card, so uh, whether this is even good enough in, in a sideboard is, uh, is left for debate. So well, um, Here's the thing, though, is that decks like that were already playing um, Pyrite Spellbomb. I mean, is this better than Pyrite Spellbomb? Um, I guess not. No, I, I don't think it is. Pyro Spell Bomb gives you the choice to cycle, at least, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, so, I, I had my I mean, my friend who plays Living End, when he, he actually backed away from the Cascade into a ridiculous answer against Mono Red, like Core Firewalker plan, because people were just ready for it. People were playing different answers. So. All right, so maybe... Uh... It was just Twitter noise. It may be be possible. I mean, Reality Hemorrhage is an instant as opposed to Pirate Spellbomb, which you have to, like, play, and it has to be in play when they play their Firewalker. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not like like they're, like, let's say they're a blue-white control deck. It's not like they're going to kill the Spellbomb, right? So, hmm. Yeah. Going to have to think that over. I'm gonna have to think that over. Um, um, but there's 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 some cards that that give me a lot of nostalgia, like Reckless Bushwhacker. <laughs> I remember playing uh, the original guy. Oh um, man, Goblin Bushwhacker gives me a lot of uh, memories about that. Yeah, I, uh, I play him in Dude Storm, so like I'm I'm excited for that guy. <laughs> Ranger of Eos. That's a, I played it in uh, Boss Naya. Just uh, Ranger of Eos that or a Scoop Mob or whatever and go to town so there's there's some cards that give me that nostalgic uh feeling and of course a lot there were a lot of talk of a couple of weeks ago with whether uh oath of nissa is like a green sort of ponder and how good it is it gonna be and and there's i like oath of nissa yeah it looks it looks great yeah so it's a it's a weird thing right it's like an enchantment but it feels like a spell because it reminds me a bit of like a ponderish type effect, but then it has this additional um, lingering effect where you can spend mana as though uh, it were mana of any color to cast planeswalker spells. So uh, allows people to perhaps live the dream of, of playing some sort of super friends deck again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like it too. Uh, one thing, one card that I saw that I earmarked for modern was Flame Tendrils. The new uh, Infest or Drown in Sorrow, take your pick. Um, then the the reason being is because exiling is much better than um, just the minus two minus two scry um, in modern, especially when you have decks that can bring stuff back. Uh, oh yeah, like, it's still like good against like decks the and, style decks and those types of things. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Matt. Uh, for the same reason, like how Anger of the Gods was like a preferred card yeah. against specific decks. Um, Not to mention, like you have this like Eldrazi deck that's kind of been making waves. Its core is black, and now you've got this card that helps you exile things, and it's great against like mono red or uh, elf style strategies and stuff like that. Like it, it acts as like your your early board wipe against like those aggressive creature based decks, even in potentially some zoo type targets. And it exiles those creatures so that you have more ammo for your uh, 
your processors. So, so question: hmm. Does Kozilex return replace Pyroclasm in Red Green Tron? Ah, uh, yes. You think so? You didn't say answer before. <laughs> answer: Yes. <laughs> and bear. Thank you. Um, what, what what's the uh, casting cost okay, of this? Two R instant. Devoid uh, deals two damage to each creature, and then whenever you cast an Eldrazi creature spell with converted mana cost seven or greater, you may exile Kozilek's return from your graveyard. If you do, it deals five damage to each creature. Is the extra mana pro- too prohibitive? Like the the way that I see this card is that if you were playing four Pyroclasms before, you're probably playing two Pyroclasms and two Kozilek's returns. Okay. Like I, I think you start with the split and you see what it's doing for you. The nice part is is that it just it's really cool that you can kind of get that second that second board wipe off of dropping your big creature. Yeah. And that's 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 really big because when I've played those decks, I'm not very experienced in those decks. And you know, we've got guys who are probably much better at talking about that stuff. Uh, guys like Doug Potter and stuff who've played a lot of uh, Red Green Tron. They might be better to talk about those types of things. But the way that I would see it, if I was in an aggressive game, if I've been on the other side of that matchup when I'm playing an aggressive creature based deck, I always seem to be putting them into a situation where they're trying to either kill all my creatures so that they can survive because I've put enough pressure on them to kind of get them on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to drop their big threat and hope that they can start getting on the aggressive themselves. Where this Kozilek return, it's kind of like it pumps the brakes once for them and kind of shuts them down so that they, uh, they, they, have to, they have to step back and have their creatures die. Then they rebuild their board, and then you're dropping your game-winning threat. Like, the, the way that this card turns the corner is just ridiculous. If it's in the graveyard and you're casting your Kozilek and... Or not your Kozilek, your Ulamog, and you're killing all the creatures and blowing up two lands or blowing up a Planeswalker in a land or something silly like that, the, the, the game's pretty much over at that point. Like, if, if the second block of text on Kozilek's return happens, I can't imagine you lose that game. Well, man lands. That's the uh, only thing. But That's the only again, way out. Like what, what, planes, what, what Eldrazi creature spell are you going to cast that seven or more that gives a damn about creatures? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, if, if Ulamog's coming into play, it's like, okay, so Raging Ravine and Treetop Village, Sayonara. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, just, just, just scoop them up. So, yeah, like when they're picking up their creatures to put them into the exile zone, they might as well just shuffle them into their deck and go to the next game. Um, yeah. That just seems like a really, really powerful ability. And to make, again, to make your Haymaker Bomb into a Wrath of God effect on top of it is just a one-sided Wrath. Yeah, sure. All for you, so. So, and a couple other cards I'd like to point out. Uh, what do you think of Tears of Valakut? It's uh, an instant where one red uh, can't be countered, uh, deals five damage to target creature with flying. Uh, is it just like, is it a better or worse combust? Worse combust. Yeah, okay. It's probably worse. It can't target Deceiver Exarch. Correct. That's exactly it. 
we're uh, we're not still playing uh, Treasure Cruise, dig uh, dig through time, uh, Delver. Um, if we were, then maybe this card could be better. Okay, but we're not. So we need our uncounterable spells that target those particular types of like. Again, you see a flying creature. I just personally, I always think of white or blue. So combust is a very comparable type card. I just I want it to be able to kill the ground guy. I want to be able to kill a Deceiver Exarch with it. I, okay. I just I don't know where the slot is that exists for that card. I, I don't know where I find it. So, what kind of guy that does this kill that Combust doesn't that I would want it for? Um, like a five damage black, like a five toughness black green or. Red flyer, yeah, that Boy. that you you are absolutely right. Uh, a loopy of old darn. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a that's a good I'm answer. Reaching. I'm reaching. I I admit it. I am reaching, but that's that's your answer. Yeah, you are very right. So moving on, uh, the two of the other cards that I saw, which which they may actually have actual popper popper uh, implications more so popper than implications. Uh, expedite and um, slip through the or slip through space. Uh, the slip through space is uh, target creature. It's a sorcery for one blue target creature can't be blocked this turn. It is devoid and draw a card. Uh, the card is devoid, not the creature. Uh, as well as uh, the uh, expedite, which basically is one red instant target creature gains haste. Uh, draw a card. So. I always look for new storm cards. Um, anything I can chain into other things. Um, whether or not these are good in modern, uh, I have no idea. Okay. But uh, Jeskai Ascendancy is still a thing. Uh, it is, sort of. Um, I've been playing a little bit of it. I, I saw that list. I thought it was pretty neat. So, hmm. I don't know... They're they're just sleepers. I don't know if they immediately slot into anything. Um, I just always look for cards that uh, are dangerous in a large in large quantities. So uh, so yeah, that's that's the reason I bring that up. Hmm. Oh, well, what did you think of of the uh, what did you think of the pyroclasm effect uh, on that? Um, I don't know enough about Red Green Tron's clocks to really say for sure whether the one mana makes the huge difference that it might. Um, so I know that that Pyroclasm effects help them. I know that they can't play Fire Spout uh, because oftentimes because it requires uh, two colored mana. To really get the full effect. Um, same thing with uh, Anger of the Gods. That's why it doesn't play it. Usually. Um, but the 5 damage. May actually just be exactly what. That deck needs. Um, okay. To deal with a lot of the board states. Uh, against the Zudex. Against Goyfs. Uh, 5 damage. Uh, uh, Tassigur has 5 toughness. Um, a lot of those decks. Uh, that you know that five damage deals with a lot of creatures. 
Yeah. So, and you see, like, a huge difference between, like, even two and three damage a lot of times. Yeah, I played a, I played Tron a while ago where um, where sometimes you had to worry about the amount of zoo that was in the environment, so you, you lean towards Fire Spout for the extra damage because it actually mattered. If if you expected a lot of Nakatos, Kurt Apes and stuff, it were, you would just look silly with, with Pyroclasm. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm probably going to, if I were to start, I would start War. Uh, Jeremy would, would have it as a 2-2 split, see how I feel. and uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being too slow uh, for, for depending on what you're expected to play against. Yeah. Like some decks, you just, like, you just need it as early as possible, whether it be maybe like Affinity or um, you know, I'm trying to think of decks that I would want it as early as possible. Um uh, in fact, yeah. I think that matters a lot. Where you really want to kill their Glistener Elf or their Blighted Agent or their their uh, Noble Hierarchs um, as quick, or get them to react so that you can follow it up with with another Pyroclasm. Sometimes you you win games like that where you have two of them. Whereas if you have two copies of this one, you might lose the game because they're they're more of a um, they're more of a they can kill you in in, in turn three or turn four, right? So. So th- that term might matter, and uh, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you do get lucky and, and, and Pyroclasm a Boggle deck, because they just don't have the right draw, <laughs> yeah. so um, so that one mana might matter, so I would try mess around with the 2-2 split, see, and, but I, I, I do foresee a lot of scenarios where, you know, you're sort of pulling ahead, but not quite, and with this in your graveyard, this just uh, pushes you over the top, being real clear the board because um, sometimes you play an ulamog you kill one thing and then you you just die to the crackback so just having this effect might win you a lot of games that that you wouldn't have otherwise so uh yeah i'm i'm undecided on it but uh i like i can't wait to try it yeah there is the super important point that the tron decks can't make three mana on turn two but they can make seven mana on turn three so your your curve gets really awkward if you like, if you want to turn one, play a bobble, turn two, pyroclasm, turn three, play Tron, play something that costs seven, that gets really mucked up if you have, if you have Kozilex return as opposed to pyroclasm, because you got to go land, bobble, uh, another Tron piece, and then something. Um, and then you just go into seven, and then you play Karn, like, and then you just lose to whatever. Or you play this sweeper, and you waste three or four mana, um, it could, yeah, it can, it can be really awkward. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, so can't can't wait to see, can't wait to try. Um, Modern's been huge um, lately. I think it's uh, probably the most well. Well, I I hate. Is it too early to call it the most well received format of of all time yet? Modern? I don't, I don't know. It took a lot of time. I mean, we're like four years into it three or four years into it right i think that they've done a very good job with it um i'm very interested to see what they do with the ban list and all that kind of nonsense so we'll see uh what happens with that type of uh action yeah yeah reception wise it's it's been huge um especially when we were trying to um construct the tournament schedule for the face-to-face games uh tournament series uh, we're looking at the stats uh, of of the past year and uh, past tournaments in, in different cities and and even SCG 
um, personally looking at how modern events have done versus standard events, um, modern has just done way better overall. And we just hosted our very first uh, weekend of, of uh, face-to-face tournament series events, opens. We had one in Toronto. We had one in St. John's, Newfoundland. Both of them were modern. And uh, once again, uh, we and with the help of modern and I guess the game gr- still growing, and even if it was like during a de- sort of dead part of the season, which is why uh, I was okay with taking a podcast break, uh, we broke attendance records. Oh, we had sweet. 200, 200 players in Toronto. Um, this is more than like even a PTQ in the old days, as far as I can remember. Well, not the Kelly Ackerman like record setting days. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Those don't count, but certainly more than like the hundred or few people that we've gone. And in St. John's, Newfoundland, where last year for standard events, I think we got 40, 45, 50 uh, with Modern, with the help of Modern. And the and I don't know, I, like, I don't know what to contribute to, like the percentage of like the health of the game, etc. But with the changing of Modern, we hit 90 people in Newfoundland. Like this is Chris Lansdell's territory. And, you know, we're happy. We've been happy breaking 50, and now we hit 90 this past weekend. So people are absolutely loving this format. You know, there, there are some detractors, but it's pretty clear. Uh, like, the, the casuals, the semi-competitives, the competitive players are coming out to play. And uh, in St. John's, uh, Nick Green won in uh, Infect Mirror. Oh, wow. Ended up taking it down uh, against, uh, from what I've told, was a, a really young kid in the finals. And then uh, Felix Tse, man, I, I don't know. I I'm Asian and I can't pronounce that that last name. <laughs> what? How do you? How is it? How is it spelled? T S E. Like Z. Like I know how to pronounce it in Cantonese, but just like the English or whatever way of doing it, I just fuck it up. Okay. <laughs> um, he won with his his brand of uh, red green scape shift, showing people that uh, out of two hundred. Um, player tournament in Toronto where you know most of the killer can a lot of the killer Canadian players are and he was able to uh weed through that field with with the red green scapeshift deck when you know other people are are trying to be fancy with bring to light and everything he, he stuck and I, I've known him for a long time and he's been playing just straight red green for a while now so still seeing that diversity and still seeing uh, all these people love the format but of course, everyone is expecting some sort of ban. Uh, I think it's this coming week. Yep. Uh, it wouldn't be this so, weekend, be mo- but it would Monday, be next I think. week after. I think. Or is it Monday? Is it the Monday before the set? I think it's the Monday before the set. Okay. Yeah, you might be right. I think I, they've they've messed with the schedule a bunch. And... No. Not wizard. <laughs> Um, but but his list was was nothing special. Um, actually, wow, that's just hurtful. I, I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. His, I, I, I don't know why. Cold on your break, KYT. You got cold. I, I did. I did. I mean, I don't know what happened. We had like, uh, I don't know. I it was just like all these people and uh, our listeners. Now I love you, but it's all these people who just like haven't listened for like. 40 episodes and we'll still make the the KYT doesn't talk joke and it's just like what joke uh, is that? yeah it's just like 
no one, I guess no one gave them the, the memo that that wasn't funny a hundred episodes ago. Like that was no longer funny. Um. Well, you know, when, when you turned, when I was turned on to the A team <laughs> through one you, time. KYT, yeah. I didn't know you were on the podcast. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> is that considered a joke? <laughs> Is that is that a joke? Does that qualify? <laughs> <laughs> That's a um, joke. <laughs> I'm wrong. People should definitely check out this list because he's playing uh, sweet stuff. I, how? What's your experience with Scapeshift, uh, Jer? My experience with Scapeshift: uh, zero, five percent, pretty much zero. Okay, pretty much zero. Uh, I tested some Scapeshift for Pro Tour Return to Ravnica. Okay, so he's his pretty much zero. Was completely different from what I've seen. Maybe it's it's a new progression in the modern matter game that I haven't seen yet. He has four copies of I can't say the first word. You, you probably know what card it is something uh, acid moss. Monvali acid moss. Monvali acid. He has four copies of it. Okay, a full playset of a four. Mana Sorcery, for listeners that don't know that, destroy target land. Search your library for a forest card and put that card into play tapped and shuffle your library. Uh, I, sort of I've never seen that fan. used. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is cool. He's got two Nature's Claim in the main, two Primal Commands in the main, and uh, three Corsair of Crufix in the main. So uh, Cool. I've never seen that, it without blue. I mean, I've, I've never played the deck without blue. So that is definitely cool. I like Monvali Acid Moss. I like I like that tech. Any any card that says destroy target land that's still played kind of still has my heart a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. Sometimes you got it like in these decks that you talked about, uh, Matt. It's sometimes hard for like a red green deck to like deal with with uh, man lands, right? Oh, well, sometimes I, you just have these board wipes. With that deck, I'm just more on lines of how. How do you just not have everything countered against the the blue white deck and the like in a modern tournament you can very easily hit a blue white deck and then two other blue X X decks where they just can counter some of your key spells and you just you lose because of that. But uh I don't know. I'm I'm very curious about how he navigated that and those matches. Yeah, yeah, I guess these decks where like you just have to counter, let's say, Prime Time and Scape Shift and focus on that card, those cards, and let a lot of their land fetching spells resolve, and and they're you can slow them a lot, uh, slow them down a lot by doing that. Whereas um, it was harder to do, I guess, with the with the version with Blue, where they have access to stuff like Remand, Cryptic Command, or. Uh, Sometimes they play um, Is a Charm or whatnot, or, or Snapcaster Mage even to Snapcaster Mage back Escape Shift um, to be able to kill you uh, to get you to run out of counters. So you're right. Like I think I think maybe it's the format have shifted enough for him to take over. I'm seeing decks like Abzan Cord, Merfolk, Abzan Company, Affinity, In fact, Blue Red Twin and Grixis Twin in the top eight. So. Probably has a bad twin matchup, but I guess those uh, t- maybe two random natures claim helped them out in the main. 
And uh, he does have Rending Volley. So his cyber is four Bailoffs, two Relic of Progenitus, two Engineer Explosive, two Ancient Grudge, two Rending Volley, one Beast Within, and two Anger of the Gods. Um, I mean, speaking of Relic of Progenitus, that the card, the price of that card is now absolutely insane for what was originally a fucking common. Yep. Is Relic like super expensive? It's like six dollars now or something. Okay. It was a fucking common. Yeah. Yeah. Force of Will was an uncommon. <laughs> Uh, dude, get o- get over it. <laughs> I can't. Like Inquisition, can't get Inquisition isn't uncommon. It's like what twelve or thirteen dollars now. I wouldn't be surprised if it was even more than that. Actually, at uh, so welcome to Magic, dude. Where have you been? I have not been paying attention to spoilers. So that's where I've been. Well, that's more of a card prices thing. But I mean, when All you right. when you don't really have to pay for cards as much as as much as you can get them for in exchange for other stuff uh i don't know that stuff the prices you start to lose lose context for some of the prices and stuff yeah yeah i mean i i've also like yeah at one point i didn't care and now sort of shifted my focus to more play online Mm -hmm. so anything that happens in the real life uh like and i focus i draft a lot more so like you know the price of draft is always the same to me. So I've lost every time. Like at work, someone mentions how a card has spiked. I'm just like, whoa! It's just like, you know, because there's just this huge gap of time that I'm updated with with the finance of certain cards. So I am pretty shocked when I'm like, oh shit, relic is now. People are actually actively buying them at seven, six, seven Canadian now. Like, you know, I hear people. In the store, saying, "Oh, we got to put it up to eight now." It's like, "Whoa!" So yeah, it's interesting because the uh, and this is a trend I noticed uh, probably about six months to eight months ago is that the uh, modern Masters One versions of cards that were uh, of cards were becoming more expensive than even the original versions uh, because there was just less printed of it. So, like a modern Masters. Lava Spike, for example, would be slightly more expensive than an original Kamigawa Lava Spike, if That's that makes weird. any sense. Yeah. That's really weird. Or Desperate Ritual. I think Desperate Ritual was in uh, Modern Masters, right? Uh, I, yeah, I, that sounds familiar. Because they had the yeah. Storm stuff? Yeah, okay. I think so. I'm pretty sure I, I remember that exact card. Yeah, hashtag MTG Finance for you. Yeah. So, so a couple uh, of things. you can just unsubscribe from Brain <laughs> and all those guys. <laughs> this is where it's happening at, boys. Like, I'm going to bring up MTG Goldfish and go, oh my goodness, why is... Uh, what card is stupid right now? Inquisition of Kozlik. Hey, pro tip, guys, if you can't afford Inquisition of Kozlik, there's a fantastic budget version of the card called Thoughtseize. Just run it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in all in all seriousness, though, if we ever do want to talk about MTG Finance, um, I did make about five thousand dollars between October, November, and December of last year, uh, just selling Magic cards. So uh, I know a little thing or two. Oh, he knows a thing or two. Uh, but yeah, so uh, wow. do we want to move on to something else? For just a twenty dollars subscription to MattMendoza.com. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> Even you can get Me? exclusive, exclusive newsletters and e- emails to tell you exactly what to buy each and every week. 
And that's that's twenty dollars US. So that's like what seventy five Canadian. Uh, no, but still pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh <laughs> seventy cents US a dollar now, or something like that, isn't it? It's something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, if you Google like, I sometimes have to do like cash conversion or whatever and i google it really quick and uh the graph is just depressing you see the the downward graph that just shows up on google and you're just like what the fuck yeah it's like xe or something like that right yeah historical currency rates canadian dollar go and it's brutal (laughs) (laughs) yeah 70 cents uh us for a canadian dollar yeah, just come up here and feel rich, uh, Matt. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of fun in Quebec City. So that was, uh... and not just because of the really great exchange rate, but just because that city's great. Even then, I don't think it was a really great exchange rate. Um, it was like eighty cents, seventy-five, eighty cents. Okay, it was well. a little, it was a little better. Um, it, yeah. it has definitely dipped very quickly. Um, but I don't keep. Huge track of those things, so it could be. You live there, I guess. Come back up. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but I've seen this happen before, a long time ago. Just because I had to uh, at one point uh, sell cards uh, a long time ago to like before face face and all these other local stores that that I had were buying cards. Um, Sometimes um, along, I don't know if you did this at all, Jer, but I, I I sent I like mailed cards to these random. Uh, some of them I don't even really know if they exist anymore. Like I think one of them was called Shuffle Cut and Deal or something. And uh, I've seen it, but I've never done it. I've never mailed cards to anybody. Yeah, I did that a long time ago, and and that's when I had to do the exchange. And and at that point, I remember the the U.S. I was just getting a lot. Uh, of Canadian for the U.S. that I was receiving, yeah. so having having flashes of that again, and uh, hopefully uh, we can turn it around at some point, so I can travel to the U.S. and not feel like I'm getting completely owned. <laughs> well, the one <laughs> well, thing take your nice cards to that. the U.S. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's one thing I do is I'll sell in the U.S. I've also got a U.S. account that like I loaded up with money prior to our money being worth nothing. So What a smart fucker! Yeah, so we used to just take a section, part of my paycheck, like part of our savings, we would just cash away in U.S. because we always try to make like a U.S. vacation trip every year. So we were throwing money into that account every every paycheck. This thing, it's, it's really cool. I know that I work in Alberta where we just get money and then it's like, oh, I've got $10,000. That's a fifth wheel. So I go and buy a fifth wheel. Um, no, it's just be smart with your money. You can buy all kinds of crazy things, but just take part of your paycheck and put it in the bank. And then don't yep. spend that money until you want to buy something big or do something with it. And if you go to the States a lot, then get a U.S. account and buy it good because now it's crap, but I still can go on a vacation to the States because I've got a bunch of U.S. money in the bank. So not mtgfinance.com <laughs> in terms of like i would say my my tip if i had if i would just to lay anything is i would say if you're canadian and you can get to a us gp do yeah. that yes 
and then like there's crazy people right now um aether games is that what their name is yep aether yeah have you dealt with those guys uh yes actually shout out to aether um they have fan uh i mean i know you guys are a face-to-face uh cast and face-to-face has oh no we're 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 the a-team podcast okay uh, we're on man of the tribe <laughs> uh face-to-face <laughs> games uh does does like to advertise on our show uh but it's really uh it's really just the privilege that they have well face-to-face is awesome that out of yes. the way yes they are they uh, are absolutely Aether, i've actually found has pretty great prices um everybody i've talked to has has been really great and uh, they have really good uh, selection of uh, Asian cards, specifically Japanese and Korean. Yeah, uh, because they have not. I don't know the nature of the relationship because I've never really, never really delved into it. But I know that Aether and Hararia in Japan, Saito's shop, uh, have basically they work together a lot. Um, oh, so geez. if you ever go to like a GP and you see like Hararia sleeves or deck boxes or life pads. Um, you basically find those at the Aether Games booth. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. the the big thing. Like, I, I don't even know if I would consider them competition to face to face games. You know, since you kind of like touched on that subject, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd consider them competition. I I don't I don't, I mean anybody who sells cards, I guess, is competition in the most broad sense of the word. But, but um, it's it's like I tell like again I I. I talk about face-to-face games at my local game store. Uh-huh. And the conversation that I always have with the local game store is that, you know, face-to-face games is a supplement. They exist to bring signals that we normally wouldn't have inside of our community into our community. And those singles are probably going to get traded into the store and they're probably going to be resold at a profit to the store. So for every card that face-to-face games, every single that they ship into the Edmonton area chances are they're going to make some money on it. So face-to-face games is actually like a, a symbiotic relationship with them. Um, if they're selling boxes underneath you, then you know what? That kind of sucks. But if you're doing a good thing, people are going to buy boxes from you. And most of the Edmonton stores don't have boxes right after release because they sell all their boxes, all their pre-orders. So it doesn't seem to be hurting the uh, group that way. Uh, where Aether Games kind of fits in really funny and why I don't think that they're necessarily a competitor is that it's my understanding that a company like face-to-face games, when they go to a GP, they're not there to sell stuff. They're there to buy stuff. And that's where Aether fits in Most in the a time, yeah. way because Aether is at the GP to sell stuff. They're there to buy as, uh, for as much as they can and then resell it as low as they can and just try to like make as much money as possible. But if you go to like the Aether games website and try and find a card to buy, like to have sent to you, you're wasting your time because they have, almost no inventory whatsoever on their site because they don't want to take inventory home away from the GP. So it's a very interesting little concept. I don't know if it can last, if it can support itself, but you go to GPs and like with the fact that they're in there doing what they're doing, it's obviously going to change the way that shops have to buy at these uh, events. And that means you can make a lot of money off of your stuff if you want to sell it off. Well, here's the thing with Aether though that I, uh, was going to mention um in terms of competition they actually have carved out themselves a little niche um whereas in japan they don't play magic casually they don't play edh they don't play old school they don't play uh, anything else they basically play in tournaments and uh, so what aether has done is they've basically connected with the japanese market 
and they actually focus on tournament staples. So what from what frequently from what I hear um, from my friends in the finance community is that if you want to sell your tournament staples or if you want to um, get tournament staples, they are one of the people you go to. Oh yeah, my because that's my their, went down that's their to, niche. He was at uh, what was the legacy tournament last one? Portland. Uh, yes, or Seattle, SeaTac. Yeah, Seattle yeah. was legacy. Yeah, j- somewhat recently ish. Yeah, my 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 buddy went down there and he was selling ties to them for like twenty bucks American a piece. Yep, like he was just they wanted them and they were paying ridiculous for them and. They're not even worth twenty Canadian, let alone twenty U.S. So, yeah, it's it's like an arbitrage opportunity for them as well because um, Japanese cards sell more here, um, and English cards sell more over in Japan. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of friends who basically I've won. Uh, he's back now, but he basically just went to Japan to to do arbitrage. So, I don't know the details about everything. Uh, I'm not that deep into MTG finance, uh, but I know that that is a thing. Neat. So moving on, uh, we did get a couple uh, requests to speak about certain topics, so we should. I think we should do that for like a couple minutes. What? Did? Yeah, we did. Fuck. Well, see if Who you listen to fans, guys. Think they are telling us what we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you would check the comments on your damn website, KYT, or you would. Uh, listen to twitter <laughs> so we had some people basically they came down to leaks spoilers and the scry rule which we talked a lot about the spoilers um what you know the leaks thing kind of happened while we were taking our break yes so um beings that we have uh, i'm kind of a judge and jeremy you are a judge and what do you mean uh, kind of a judge i'm a level one but i like i barely keep my level one status i don't know how you know, it's always one of those, like, do I want to play in the tournament or do I want to judge the tournament? Like, which kind of branch do I want to go down? Oh, I'm uh, still very much on that case there, but I am making a concerted effort to try and retest for L2. Um, okay. Third time will be the charm, so. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just opportunity cost. You know, what, yes. if you're doing one thing, you're not doing the other. Oh, so, yeah, but also in Alberta, just straight up cost because we don't have any L3s nearby, so you have to jump on a fucking plane to test for L2. Oh yeah, um, um, but what do you uh, the leaks and then the subsequent bannings? Do we have an opinion on that? Um, I thought a lot of people got really excited. Um, I understand that. I understand that they acted. Uh, kind of a little bit, they pulled the trigger maybe a little too hard on everybody involved. Um, their investigation seems like it was done very rushed. Uh, probably had to do with timing because it was the holiday season. So they kind of fired, they, they pulled the trigger on it during the holiday season. So all the people who were impacted by it didn't have a real easy way to get in touch with the people who made the decision or the people that they needed to speak with because, again, it was right during the holiday season. Uh, the whole thought of everybody in the group getting uh, getting a ban in some way, shape was or a suspension uh, somewhat uh, kind of ridiculous. But I understand that if I was in Wizard's shoes in this case here, and obviously 
you've got these people who are working on these projects more than a year out, building up this very elaborate way to spoil things. And all of a sudden, word gets out well before, you know, what's going on, uh, especially uh, being Kozilek and they're trying to build up the Uncharted Realm story and all this kind of stuff. Like, I think it's absolutely brutal when my wife goes and looks in bags right before Christmas, before I've wrapped her presents. I think that's absolutely brutal. And this is kind of somewhat similar, but this is almost almost to the point of like spoiling the gender of someone's baby, because these are their baby. This is a project they put way too much time into, I'm sure, that they try and keep secret and they have this big elaborate plan on how they want to get the information out and then it gets out. So a lot of people are kind of getting hurt over this. And then you kind of, you, you get these guys, they get this information, they spoil it out to the friends, all of a sudden it gets leaked out, and that's kind of brutal. So they want to do something about it, but you want to target, you want to target the, the, the guy who leaked the information in Wizards. You want to target the guy who showed it to somebody that they weren't supposed to show it to. You want to target the guy who spoiled it to the public. Uh, you want to target the people who had the opportunity to stop it, but didn't stop it. Mm-hmm. Now, that one is really, really hard to... To, to mandate like that one is really hard to implement because how do you know that the person looked at it so what they did is they went and they took everybody who had the opportunity to and they they hit all those people because it was leaked into this group now if you treat this as this is the only action that's going to happen that people do not have their the ability to appeal that this is the open shut we're never going to talk about it case then yeah, that's really brutal. But I, I have to believe that some of these people who were just in the group, who got a list, and the way I understand it is they were asked for a list, they provided a list with everybody in the group, that's how they went about it. I, I think if those people go on and say like, hey, if you look at the site, you can see I haven't been in here for you know a year and a half. I have to feel like that this is kind of going to get itself fixed up a little bit. Um, I know judges in our group, some judges who are really heavily involved in the program uh their tos on the same side they run like they own their own shops and stuff that feel like they're impacted by this they have some justifiable comments in the fact that these guys were banned on a principle that did not exist like policy that did not exist uh in print that Mm -hmm. the policy was retroactively changed to kind of accommodate this and I understand why they feel like if this could happen to those guys, what could happen to me? Uh, what rule could they change that would impact me? And I think that that might be a little bit too chicken little. Um, obviously, Wizards does not have it all figured out. We've seen time and time again that they are taking, that they have puppy stupids, that they have to learn, they have to adapt, they have to grow. Um, I do not hold them with an expectation that I cannot maintain myself. I do not hold them with the expectation of perfection. I hold them with the expectation that if something stupid happens, if a corner case happens, if something weird like this comes out, that they're going to hopefully do something very fair about it and that they're going to update their policies so that people in the future know that you can't do this. You know, that's the key thing is that when you make a mistake, you have to learn from that mistake. You have to implement things in your life to try to avoid making that mistake if you want to grow. And I think that that's all that Wizards done here. Does it suck that they pretty much chopped the leg off of an entire community? That they got rid of a great deal of L2s in a community that needs L2s for PPTQs and all that kind of stuff? Uh, That's always been a 
that's always been a tender spot for me is the fact that there's just not enough L2s to complement uh, this system that they're using to qualify for the Pro Tour. I think that that part really sucks, but I'm hoping that they're going to fix some stuff. And that's that's all I can really go with it. I haven't looked at it as much as other people. I haven't been listening to Judge Cast. I haven't been on the forums as much. But this is what I've heard from the people who are invested in it, uh, people that I trust, and just my own personal kind of opinion on the thing. Uh, I always knew that what you do outside of judging can impact you. They came out with that. We talked about it on the show. I mentioned that if I'm representing a judge and then I start going on about some shit story, that could be viewed as a negative to the judge program, and I could lose the ability to judge based on that. And that's one of the things that I have to accept as a content producer, uh, especially on the A-team. But it's one of those things that if you're doing bad or you're letting bad happen around you, you might get your pee-pee slapped and yeah has got their pee-pee slapped so <laughs> just to put it technically yes absolutely this is this this is a pee-pee slap if anybody has heard that term they did not know what that meant now you do yeah jeremy i, I just have to echo a lot of what you said um i feel like a lot of marketing a, a lot of marketing strategies are built upon these spoilers or these preview schedules and yeah for people to ruin that um is is pretty pretty wrong but uh i what my beef mainly was with uh the shotgun bannings which really sucked yeah uh especially from what i hear you know heard that there were just people who were just caught in that facebook group yeah they hadn't didn't, didn't see anything they didn't do anything um you know, I'm sure Facebook gives you the ability uh, as an admin to see anybody who even touched a post, who even looked at it. Um, so maybe going with that evidence was a little would have been uh, using a scalpel, uh, where uh, you know, using a scalpel where as the best tool. Um, but I, I actually was. This is this is one of those things where just Wizards of the Coast, they just don't use scalpels. Yeah, I was more upset about I I don't know how I feel about their process of of bannings and how they don't discuss them. I don't know how I feel about that policy. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing is that it really comes into this impacted a set release strategy, right? Like in order to do all this stuff, the Uncharted Realms, the all this kind of stuff, the even putting time of it into the World Magic Cup, because I think that's where Kozilek was supposed to be uh, uh, spoiled, was at the World Magic Cup. Doing all of these things costs money. It's advertising. So if they're talking about Kozilek for half an hour at the World Magic Cup, they could be showing Ultra Pro ads and making money from it. So it all costs money. So there are people who have to be accountable for that money within the Wizards organization. And I'm sure when something like this happens, unfortunately, it's the lawyers who come knocking because somebody said, hey, all of this money essentially has been stolen because now that stuff is already out. We're not going to be able to get the attention from it. We're not going to get all this stuff. It's already out there. We missed the opportunity on these pieces. Um, So that money just immediately just gets burnt to pieces, like burnt right up. And with that, uh, 
you have to you have to punish and if you're going to punish if it's not a game type thing if it's not within that type of circle if you're going into the this has cost us money realm of things then all of a sudden you start to get people who don't care about organized play people who are not involved in that kind of stuff the people who probably forced this decision to happen are not the people who care whether or not these guys were judges or anything like that they probably just went and talked to those people and said you have to fix it you have to ban everybody who is involved or you have to do something like this of course 100 speculation on my part but this just stinks of what we've seen in the past where it's somebody who's not inside of that clique an outsider who's seen the impact who's been impacted who's come in and said you have to deal with this and you have to deal with this in in a heart like you have to deal with this now so they need to go back to those persons and say, all right, everybody who had a chance to saw it got banned. Uh, if there's any cases that come up where we might have overdone it, we'll scale it back. But they got to appease those people. There's still a business. They still have shareholders. They still have people they're responsible to, accountable to, uh, you know, big bad Hasbro or big good Hasbro. I don't know what we care about them, but they got to they gotta cover their own. Yeah. And there might even be a case of like, I don't know what they're uh labor situation is like um obviously there was a person internally who had to be dealt with for this there was probably an hr piece to that it could even come from something there saying that well you're dealing with this employee in a very very harsh way but obviously once the employee handed off to these people these people took deliberate steps to damage this why are they getting off with nothing and the employees getting dealt with and maybe the employee has some sort of weird position where they can go and cause a lot of trouble for them like i don't know I'm, I'm completely in the blue on this but the way that i just see this kind of stuff happening is that if you impact it enough if you shake the tree hard enough you're going to get more than just the apples yeah and when you do that then all of a sudden the scalpel gets thrown away and they bust out the hammer yeah so. one thing that i'm particularly excited for going forward uh between this situation and the uh uh my my frustration with the banning and the communication um, or lack thereof um, ties into my frustration with the, commu the communication between the coverage uh, from the communication of the coverage changes is yep. that uh, two open positions actually uh, became available at Hasbro. One of them was funnily enough, a communications manager, uh, which I'm assuming has something to do with uh, creating actual press releases and things like that. Um, and a community, a brand manager, uh, community liaison for the judge community, uh, which I think is like, if they didn't already have that, that yeah. I'm excited that that's a new position. So, cause it gives somebody that it, it gives, it gives someone that judges, it gives judges someone to contact, uh, in case something goes wrong. Um, no, yeah. I, I don't know if that existed, uh, formally um i'm assuming some sort of system was established for the so those sorts of situations but now that this is a formal position at hasbro hopefully it'll be uh it'll be assigned for some cool changes coming up in 2016 there used to be like the judge guy that you could email at wizards like there was always a guy that you could reach out to um but i think he left at some point recently and i don't know if they've ever actually properly filled that position since then oh okay so that might be kind of the case with that. Um, again, there's probably people out there who know better, 
if you want to know, just fucking Google it. So, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll hear about it in the comments. That's, that's always yeah. the best way to get accurate <laughs> information is let me say something. And then somebody who's much smarter, who's well more versed, is going to call me a fucking idiot in the comments. And they're going to say what the actual <laughs> thing is. So I'm not fucking bitter about that at all. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and uh, changing gears a little bit to something a little bit less critical. Uh, I really, have you guys seen the new daily MTG changes and the new content changes? Yes, I think that's really yeah. cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I'm super excited about, uh, well, friend Corbin Hustler, uh, Brainstorm Brewery member, and just, he, he seems to write everywhere and talk on every podcast. Um, Not really necessary anymore now that Mendoza is <laughs> casting with us and he's MTG Finance and now we got all that covered. <laughs> so you guys can just really just unfollow, unsubscribe, you know. No, oh, no, 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 no. Please don't. He's a valuable resource. Um, but Corbin is now an <laughs> official part of the uh, writing for the Mothership, so that's really cool. As well yeah. as Kenji. and yeah. uh, a- Kenji's doing videos. They're doing videos on the, the, the site. So, yeah. yeah. They're, just, they're growing up. Yeah, and then uh, six other members of the community, uh, which I apologize, but they are uh, that I do not know all of their names by heart. Um, but I'm excited to see some uh, some diversity. Specifically, um, uh, there was Kenji and Corbin, and I think six women, which is really exciting. Yes, um, and uh, I'm super excited about that, uh, as well as the daily midday updates from around the community that they're doing, which I've already read the first two of and that's oh, i haven't done that yet I haven't oh it's it's real cool so it gives uh, i like it because it gives um like there were mtg cast for example as well as um gathering magics like um article about what you should read uh like the best weekly magic articles or the best daily magic articles um they they are important amplifiers for small upcoming content producers and uh, I love that, that Wizards is really embracing that aspect of the community. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So uh, there's that. And then um, KYT. What? KYT? Uh, hit, you're still here. I'm, sign, I'm signing up to MatthewMendoza.com. Oh, What's up? oh absolutely. <laughs> Did you ship the money? <laughs> $20, man. You got to ship them box. I'm shipping. Yeah. I'm shipping. Yeah. Ship so we have had a year of the scry rule. Uh, this is somebody. This is something a commenter wanted us to talk about briefly. Yeah. Um, the Vancouver Mulligan. The Vancouver uh, Mulligan. How do we like it? Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I was there at Vancouver, and um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I like it. You love it. I'm, but I, I don't. You want some more of it. I think it's the right way to go moving forward, but it's not like uh, emphatic. Like it's not like a fuck yeah, and it's like it's funny when um, some of the combos on, on on Twitter where the question was, "What's the like?" The Wizards has done many bad things, and, and there's many complaints. What's what's a, the best thing they've done for you this year? One of them said like the scry rule. I'm like out of everything else, like, <laughs> um, but uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it, and. I think that it's a lot more forgiving than, than the old rules, but I know some pros uh, don't like it as much for constructed. Feels it uh, benefits, and we're talking about like um, 
pros that that actually um, play uh, professionally have like some like in some conversations like pros that that don't play professionally. Um, (laughs) I mean, what like some people are called pros when they make like one pro tour or something. But uh, I guess people who who are like platinum pros or 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 gold pros. I've been in conversations with some of them. John Stern don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can maybe deduce uh, sort of that. But uh, you know, I've heard some people that aren't aren't a hundred percent fond of it. But uh, overall, it, it's been good. And uh, I I feel like it does favor certain archetypes. It mm-hmm. does favor certain styles of decks, and that it kind of imbalances things there. But the way that I kind of look at it is, I try to I try to look at it like I looked at uh, the removal of damage on the stack. Damage on the stack was a really cool thing. It it was another level to the game. It allowed people who are more familiar with their cards uh, solutions to a lot of problems and stuff. They could outplay people because whether it was understanding the rules or understanding how different things were going to work, uh, you just kind of had the ability to do all kinds of more, uh, much more interactive, or not interactive, but much more elaborate plays. I always found. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was a big fan of Mog Fanatic and Goblin Legionnaire. Exactly. So those those types of things. But when they got rid of it, it made sense because it wasn't as intuitive. Magic was not as fun a game as it is now to everybody because of that. And I think that making the game a little bit easier there, making the game a little bit funner, was beneficial for the game as a whole. Um, This one here is kind of doing something similar. It's making, it's attempting to address that coverage it always seems like these big tournaments end up seeing somebody having to mulligan to oblivion um but maybe by having that scry they can mulligan a little bit less uh maybe you can deal with that situation where you mulligan to a smaller hand and you really just need something to happen a lot sooner than it is going to happen and you have the opportunity to you know just again be able to just do a, a little bit better and I like that. I like it. I, I understand that there are some more strategic things happening when you don't have all the answers, when you don't have the ability to uh, run a deck that might be a little bit greedier because you have this extra card that you get to see, that you get a little bit more out of your mulligans than the other guys. But I'm okay with that also. I think that the game can live with that. I think the game can be a little bit less advantageous for these players to make up for it. So, Okay. KYT, what are you playing? KYT, are you drafting? Are you playing constructing? No, I'm, I'm that's, that's him, man. Oh, Jesus. wow. Okay. He's, he's the jackass, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean I'm the jackass? <laughs> You're the scumbag. I am the scumbag. Okay. Um, wow, so KYT really has no excuse for not talking. Jeremy is multitasking. I, oh, I'm, I'm watching <laughs> hockey over here. <laughs> it's like for the longest time, the, how busy I was with work and all that kind of stuff, the only time I could draft was pretty much while we were casting. And now I just, it's... it's the fucking habit. Yeah. Like <laughs> I try to avoid typing to people on the keyboard, um, but I had one person who was getting a little whiny. Uh, while I was raffle stomping them, and I had to um, be somewhat sarcastic in agreeing with some of their statements. So, hmm. yeah. 
All right, so a last bit of news. Uh, This is going to be a long one, I think. Oh, Uh, okay. Well, not a long. This will be a longer cast than usual because, well, we haven't casted in three weeks. So, Uh, But uh, there's rumors that are going around that stores, that Watsi is going after stores who are hosting unsanctioned proxy events. (laughs) Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and supposedly they're they're uh, threatening to revoke their WPN status, which is a pretty a pretty it's huge not uh, actually happening thing. What? It's 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 bullshit. It's bullshit. What? Essentially, our local stores have called their WPN reps, and the WPN reps have said no, nothing's changed. Okay. Uh, someone might have asked the question and didn't understand what they were told, um, but it's not changed. Okay. You're not allowed to use proxies in a sanctioned tournament. And well, uh, they, they, that wasn't the issue. What I heard is that they were... They would... still somewhat follow the MTR, and the MTR says no proxies. Well, what about vintage tournaments? A lot of people have, you know, nine yeah. or ten proxies yeah. Yeah. allowed. The um, way that I understand this is that proxies were on camera, and that pissed some people off. Oh, okay. And they don't want the game advertised with proxies. Well, that's that's really interesting because we've we've tried vintage isn't really that big at our Montreal store, and we had five proxies as as a limit for a long time. But to sort of see if we could get more people in the store in the past uh, two months, and for the next month or so, we're we're trying to up it to ten proxies. So if this thing is actually true, I'm, I'm going to have to check on that. Then you know, I like we're doing unsanctioned uh, vintage terms, obviously. Um, like I, I've just read a post. I think it was like from even Trick Jarrett that was discouraging stores from from hosting these type of tournaments. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Like they, I don't think they were ever for it. I don't think you're right. ever gonna find them say like, oh yeah, proxy tournaments are fun. Oh, yeah, they're Wizards is sure. never going to say that proxies are okay any for anything ever. Like yeah. So just let I mean, getting that out of the way. Yeah, it's been a common practice for eternal formats, especially to allow proxies or cubes, like cube nights. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people want to build a cube, but they also don't want to uh, expose their a proxy cube. Yeah, they also don't want to expose their super their expensive cards, even five, ten, fifteen dollar cards, to random people they don't know. Right, those randos can't trust them. So, I mean, that to me, cube events and eternal events seem to be the most greatly affected by any change in this policy. Uh, the other thing to it is that let's, let's go down this whole, like, uh, oh, my God, Wizards is taking our proxies um, approach that uh, seems to be going on. Uh, you'd even run into people testing in stores. Like... I see people testing for big tournaments and they will be running basic lands with three different card names on them just so that they can test a whole bunch of different decks. And yeah. apparently that's not allowed, but well, it's uh, that that's that's officially it's never okay to play it. Like they yeah. officially that's the stance. I'm not talking about those. Like the yeah. Wizards isn't going to go after people who are playtesting. Yeah. Pros do that all the time. Like yeah. that's card availability issues are a thing. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of disingenuous to really attack Watsi for cha- changing any f- 
sort of policy on that aspect of playing with proxies. Yeah. Like I said, my beef is with cube. Like I want to protect the cube communities and I want to protect the eternal communities. And if, you know, I mean, those five to 10 proxies in a, in a vintage tournament, that makes the difference between people playing and people not. Yeah. So I guess my whole thing on it is it kind of doesn't matter. And where I get off saying that is that literally within like the last 20 minutes, we were just having a discussion on uh, wizards taking action against people for something that they didn't really iterate before and iterating it after. So if wizards has a problem with you having proxies in your store, um, you're kind of shit out of luck anyways. Because whether they tell you or not, if they want to do something about it, they'll do something about it. And that kind of sucks. The upside to it is if this is going to be something that they're going to be, you know, really pushing and putting the words out on and all that kind of stuff, nice to them to say something about it now instead of waiting for later. At least, Mm -hmm. you know, they're coming out and they're telling people before they go and do something about it. So. I actually kind of wonder, and this is maybe something to keep track of in the future in terms of policy directions, is I wonder if they're moving into... uh, Because if their major beef was that proxies were on camera at at an event that had a significant number of viewers, um, I wonder if they are actually moving into the direction of controlling, uh, regulating somehow, somewhat, how magic appears on streams. I wonder if that's a thought process that they're that they're. Uh, I wonder if that's a conclusion that they're going to, or if that's the direction yeah, that they're absolutely. moving. Absolutely, I think that if you were to stream Magic Workstation, I don't think it would be inconceivable to not have a letter sent to you at some point saying you're going to stop doing this or we're not going to let you play competitive magic. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, when one of my contributors submitted a video to, for posting and it was like him playing playtesting on Cockatrice oh. and I'm like I don't think I can post this and he's like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he had like spent I don't know I guess two hours to play testing and producing it, so that was kind of funny. And the oh yeah reaction was was the kicker. But yeah, I don't think they're cool with that shit. Obviously, but, and that's <laughs> the thing is that it's I don't think it's unreasonable either. I, I don't think it's unreasonable. Like Wizards does not want you doing that. Hey, if if you had a Coke fridge in your store, and all of a sudden you couldn't get Coke or whatever the case may be, and you went and got some Pepsi and threw it in your Coke fridge, if Coke shows up, they're going to be pissed. So if people are not using Wizards product, they're not using Wizards cards, they're using proxies, Wizards is probably going to be pissed if they're saying this is the place to go to for Wizards cards. Yeah. Like if the store supplying proxies, then yeah, there's no discussion whatsoever. But if they're endorsing it, if they're allowing it, it's it's a bit of a gray area. I know it sucks for vintage, but at the same time, it's vintage. Oh, come on. 
really, really cool. Really, really cool. But uh, I'm not part of the elite that get to play it. So, yeah. Yeah, you just worry about expeditions and stuff. You That's don't spend right. Your money on real things. Real things. You know what? I sat there. I'm like, I want to play a legacy deck. What legacy deck do I want to play? Oh, maybe I want to play lands. Nope, can't afford that. Uh, well, you know, maybe I want to play high tide. Oh, five hundred dollar <laughs> candelabras. Yeah. Just trade like four of your or five of your expeditions, dude. For a candelabra. Sure. Replace uh, them with like the ten dollar versions of those cards or whatever. Ah. Uh, so so that's one of my 2016 uh resolutions is that i will get jeremy schofield to 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 lower his baller status to just like old cards (laughs) i don't know man i traded a force will for a expedition breeding pool yesterday uh gross what the fuck what no no okay I, i will give you props from an MTG finance standpoint, that was probably a good move. Yeah, and like the 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 force of will was definitely somewhere in between medium and some play. Like it was MPSP somewhere in the the in in between there. So yeah, well, I'm thinking more along the lines of if I mean the price of force of will is stable. Um, yes, and it goes up, it goes down a little bit. Expeditions go. has more have more potential. Yes, absolutely. But you don't get rid of the expeditions though. Oh, goodness, like, no. You don't actually realize any of this stuff. No, no, 0% realize <laughs> Yeah. I 100% recognize that. Like, the closest thing that I've done for good magic financial decisions is just stop playing standard. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, actually, I forgot to mention that in our modern discussion, but I think that's why modern has picked up, is because over the years, you know, you have these standard cards that suddenly turn into modern cards. Yeah. And you can still you play with them, and it's great. Some and of them. The crazy thing is, people, if it's a really good uncommon that was in standard lately, and it looks like it's going to be like a good uncommon in modern, if you want to grab a few extra of them, well, they're worth not a whole lot. They could be the next Inquisition of Kozlik. They could be the next Reman. They could be the next ridiculously overpriced uncommon. I don't know. I mean, I think that printing has a huge printing has taken a huge uh role in this whole $12 inquisition of Kozilek thing because i mean magic is just printed more now even even more so than it was in Zendikar and Worldwake and that's part of the reason why we see those cards from years past spike is because they just there's wasn't a whole lot of them printed or fewer, anyway. I don't know. Inquisition was printed in a modern dual deck recently, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but like just one reprint though doesn't doesn't affect things. Yeah, as much but I think that, that one on reprint the plus the original printing might be enough to just kind of make it a regular printing. Well, maybe on a card that you don't want four of, but Inquisition you want four of. Even if you don't yes. play all four at the same time, it's just the, the meta changes such that you tweak your thought season position numbers, and you need basically four of on hand, four of them on hand. Yes, I, I do want four of thought or inquisition. The only thing that's brutal about inquisition is I traded a bunch of them in before it went up. Oh yeah, yeah, you know how that happens. Yeah, just the way it works. Yeah, 
I got to figure out a way, like, I don't know if, like, Puka Trade is doing foreign yet, but I got to figure out a way to, like, trade cards because, for the most part, I actually just sell to store and then get things and just, like, vomit value. Well, uh, look for trading bonuses. You mean trading bonuses? Trading bonuses. A lot of places, uh, um, and you, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know, how, I know what so, you mean by okay. trading bonuses, but, like, I, I know I don't sell. I just trade. But okay. still, you vomit value. Like, I get 80% ah. of what a card's worth or 75% of what a card's worth. Like, Yeah, but you value, you get that value back in time and, and flexibility with your dollars. Yeah, that's true. It's just I want to be bigger baller. Faster. Yeah. I mean, that's why I've, I've, I don't trade anymore is because it's just, it's just a hassle. And really, a lot, of, a lot of times, like, I can just give it to a store for get a couple dollars less and have the flexibility in time. So <laughs> I just want to be a baller faster. <laughs> <laughs> Who does it? Well, it's just, it's, it's annoying. Like okay. trading at GPs. Oh my goodness. That is probably the worst thing in the world to do. Uh, it's, it's actually the worst more. Uh, what has made it worse is smartphones. And and not smartphones has made it worse. I think smartphones has made it better. No, it's made it better and worse. It's made it better because uh, every trades are probably more fair now. Um, It's made it worse because it's just slowed everything down to a grinding halt. Where you're just like you're just like having somebody look up a a card that you know is twenty five or fifty cents. They'll look it up despite the fact that you telling you you know I don't know. It devalues expertise a little bit. Um, okay, that's fair. Yeah, for safety on the other side, like, yeah. so that's why it's just. And everybody looks up every card, and you're just like, ugh, I'd rather just not deal with it. Even if I like, I'm, you know, I'm not a shark. I just, you know, I like, I do like to value trade sometimes. Um, I, I don't do it a lot, but it's just a tool in in my toolbox that yeah. I can use to turn magic cards into more magic cards but um it's still it's just like it it's just not fun anymore trading isn't fun anymore well it's just the the tough part was is unfortunately there are people out there who are looking not just to value trade but to like severe value trade oh yeah yeah it's it can be bad i can like, definitely i definitely agree that it can be really really bad the guy who was like trying to tell me it's like, oh well, that's a judge promo fetch, and you know, anytime it's a promo, it's not usually worth what the the foil or the the regular value one is worth. Like those types of guys, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, liars, cheaters. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you're you're just you're you're something wrong with you, isn't there? Like you're just not wired like a, a normal human being, and. uh that's where it's like I like the the phones. It gives people an honest chance. We used to have a guy who would troll a bunch of the stores in the city, and he just proud he prowled on like he was all over young kids and would just try to rip them off at every chance he could because he recognized that they were vulnerable, and it was just disgusting. Did that person get banned from the store? No. Wow. No. Okay. No, the stores never banned him because he would take the kids' stuff. And then traded into the stores. It was great for the stores. Ugh. And the kids didn't know any better until later on, and then they had all the feel bads. 
So, you know, it's it's little stupid things like that. Yeah. I don't well, know. yeah. I feel in ranty now. <laughs> so let's end the fucking show then. Well, <laughs> contest time, contest. Contest Sweet. times. Actually, one, one, one thing before, because uh, right before the show, we started uh, talking about, well, you guys started talking about your, your love for board games and such. Okay. So just want, uh, if anybody played any new uh, board games this past holiday, like during the three-week break, I played my first game of King of Tokyo. Okay, okay that's a fun a, game. Took a huge break. Like like Jared said, I was tired of all these um, deck-building games and, and finally got um, one of these games that, you know, there's a lot of uh, luck uh, in terms of, like, you, you feel the sense of luck, but that's what, like, that's why people enjoy Magic, etc., because you get to you get this feel-good moment of being able to re-roll your dice twice, like the dice that you don't want. <laughs> so that aspect and the fact that, you know, I've been playing with cards and deck-building games this whole time, finally getting to play a game with, with cards was very different. And I even if the game looks like all the figures, all the little figurines don't really matter, right? But, like, it, it was a very enjoyable experience. I played it twice like two full days of it on on separate occasions and uh, came away very impressed though there were certain arguments over not not heated arguments over some of the rules and if you check there's not really there for some rules there's not an official ruling for some of them okay despite a game being designed by richard garfield um there are some some debates on, and and ultimately some of them just go by okay, like house rules is just it just makes more sense this way or that way. Yeah, but that's been the only weird thing uh, about the game. But uh, I loved it, and uh, it's a game I tried after Code Names. And uh, my last comment is the fact that Pandemic Legacy has been selling like hotcakes, and everyone I've talked to has nothing but insane words about that game. Yo, and, I haven't played it. Uh, just. I'm interested in 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 checking that out. I played the original Pandemic, and it's it's kind of fun, but uh, apparently Legacy pushes it to a whole new level. So, and in what ways? You know, see what you do with it. Have you have you tried that out, Matt? I I have Pandemic. I love Pandemic. I I no, haven't played Pan- Legacy. Pandemic Le- Legacy. Uh, I was just going to ask KUAT how it's different, if he knows. Um, I just know the basic. Do you know the concept of all all these legacy games at all? No. Is it really just where you play it that involves like you build up experience and get different things? It's just like I think, oh. yeah, like every, yeah, every single game affects like future games, and you play like an entire season of these different games. Oh, so every okay. Decision you make. So it's it's a cool thing, like. Um, I left work Friday, uh, this past Friday, my, my friend Barry was in the store and he was meeting up with uh, a mutual friend of ours to continue just another session of Pandemic Legacy. So it's something that you just go and uh, continue week to week or whatever, however often you want to do it with your play group. And uh, yeah, each season brings like some new twist or, or new characters or new abilities apparently. So Sounds really sweet, and, and everyone I've talked to is raving about it, and uh, I've heard it's it's rated as the game of the year for 2015, so definitely check that out if you like the original game. Okay. Yeah, um, do you own KY? Do you own Kings of Tokyo now? Uh, no. Okay. But uh, 
I might, I might, I might think about it. I would highly I recommend getting the expansions. this Christmas, but I don't own it. Oh, I buy it, man. It's like such a great family oh. game. Yeah, no, I, I understand. It, it is a fantastic game. That's why I bought it. I, I don't buy games that I don't know to pe- for people. Like, I, it's, it's a personal thing, right? Uh, but I've played a lot of it. I, I love it. It's a great game. Okay. It's a game I should own, but I just don't. Um, yeah, and I recommend the expansions. So they add a lot of... Uh, one of the things that, that Garfield found to be a problem in the game is that healing wasn't uh, as, uh, as encouraged. So what what happens is if you roll uh, the expansions give you evolution cards um, that basically give you other powers and you get an evolution card whenever you roll three hearts in one turn. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So yeah, it adds adds some strategic some more depth to the game. Hmm. I'll definitely check it out. So that that was my my sort of outside of Magic gaming this holiday. Or what about you guys? Uh, let's see. I have been playing, I was playing a bunch of Fallout, and, uh, I love Fallout. Fallout's fun. Uh, but I finally, uh, put in my Star Wars Battlefront, so I was playing a bunch of that. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to run around and shoot people on, uh, the PlayStation. Uh, as far as board gaming goes, uh, I had done a Kickstarter for Secret Hitler, which is, uh, the brainchild of... Some of the Cards Against Humanities guys, one of the guys who is involved with the Resistance game, and then uh, somebody who I think they have some background in building or doing one of the uh, retail versions of Werewolf. So it's, it's a Werewolf-style game, party-style game. Uh, one of the advantages of the game is that pretty much everyone plays right till the end. So in Wolf, where you're killing off people every night, this one here is having people stay at the table. There are people that die, but it's right towards the end of the game where people start dying. Um, once people start dying, the game's pretty much over. And it's uh, very interesting because it's got a lot of voting mechanics, so very like resistance in that aspect, uh, but not so uh, objective-y as resistance. So really fun. They have a print-and-play version on their Kickstarter page, so I whipped something up with some cards and tried that out a couple times and have had a great deal of fun with it. Still a lot of the same strategies of who's evil, who's not evil, baseless accusations. Uh, The first game that we played, I ended up being a fascist. And one of the liberals who obviously doesn't play a lot of Wolf, false declared that he was a fascist right off the beginning. So I thought, like, (laughs) wow, this is fantastic. We must have just won the game. I'm like, okay, well, if you're a fascist and you're willing to say it, who's Hitler? And then he accurately called out who Hitler was. He just guessed the person at the table and got it. So that made the game a lot harder because everyone believed him, even though like in the second equivalent, like the second vote, he all of a sudden said that he was liberal and then he went back to being a fascist and he was just all over the place. But people still somewhat believed what he had to say about this one guy being Hitler until like right to the end when everyone seemed to forget and that guy was Hitler. So we ended up winning that game, but it was really bizarre. Um, there isn't a lot of peaking in that game, but there are times when the president character gets the peak so i got peaked early on and i was evil and i tried to convince other people that i was uh you know i was good and that the person who called me out for being evil was evil and managed to kind of balance it out and even the the, the first guy who got to kill was the same guy who peaked me and he almost didn't kill me he almost killed the guy who said he was a fascist liberal fascist liberal just because the guy was crazy and he didn't know what he was getting there. 
but he just ultimately decided he had to kill me because at least I'm a one in three. So really, really neat game. Uh, <laughs> this whole uh, uh, secret Hitler thing. I, I'm excited for it. It sounds a lot like Avalon, uh, Coup, and The Resistance, and I love all of those, all three yeah, of those games. Very much like The Resistance. Like again, okay. uh, it's I, I think somewhat of the same family of of uh, designers. So. But yeah, really cool game. Um, really excited to get my copy of it. So, well, for me, outside of uh, outside of code names, playing lots of code names. Yeah, um, we played a ton of that too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just the game right now. It's super fun. We played it. Um, me and my fiance played it with uh, uh, a couple of our friends from uh, Sweden at uh, uh, on New Year's Eve, which was really fun because it introduces like. Um, uh, my our friends Brenna and Johan. Uh, Brenna is is uh, our maid of honor, and she's a native. Uh, she's she is a Native American. She's a, an American, um, but uh, Johan is Swedish by way of India, and um, so he it's he was my partner for all of our games, and it's really interesting when you add in a whole other element of uh, cultural differences. Uh, because he's a gamer like me, and we get each other a lot. Um, but there's still the fact that he is Swedish and I am American, uh, which was a really fun aspect of the game. Um, and we had been drinking, which makes it a lot more fun, too. Yeah, yeah. Alcohol <laughs> is uh, a proven uh, board game uh, lubricant. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I reunited with Ticket to Ride. Uh, forgot how much I oh, really, really like that game. Game's brutal. <laughs> brutal so how so brutal oh my goodness like if you say you don't like mashikoro like ticket to ride is just brutal uh, i don't i don't think so i mean mashikoro oh. is like so obviously like playing roulette and there's no no real skill whereas as ticket to ride know. is probably worse then <laughs> uh, i don't know <laughs> oh oh i have to play oh. more games of it <laughs> oh. Oh. That's that's all I got, man. All I got, oh, you know, like I just oh, stomach don't feel good. <laughs> um, I kept trying to learn backgammon, but uh, I never found anybody to play with. And uh, ex- we also played a group game of exploding kittens. I try finally tried at KYT in a party context, and it's fun. But I think that game is fundamentally flawed. I. Don't think I disagree. Okay. Well, my my major flaw is that, um, so part of part of the fun of the game is that, uh, you can use pairs of cards that don't do anything to actually do something. The, right. the problem with the yeah. game is that they only include four of each card. Yes. In the main deck, which is not enough to really, especially when you're playing five players and you're like separating out the cards and uh, you're getting lots of um, when there's just not enough, there needs to be more than four copies. And uh, so I feel like in the that game, it's separated into two halves, or maybe maybe three thirds. The first two thirds of the game is kind of boring. Hey, wait a second. In Canada, we call them periods. Okay. Okay. Periods. Three periods. Um, okay. Three periods. The first two periods are kind of boring because everybody is either doing nothing or they're like doing. A minimal something and drawing a card. Yeah. Um, 
And then the fun actually starts happening when uh, the deck gets really thin and you start to have to avoid the exploding kittens. People start running out of running out of diffuses and stuff like that. So we played it. We played a game, and it was it was exactly as I had imagined. Um, but then we mixed it up, and then I took my. Uh, that's another flaw of this game that I have found is that they ship the if you bought the not safe for work deck, it's actually just literally just a second copy of the game, <laughs> which is like how how lame is that? It's not an expansion. It's just. So I have two copies of the game that I can't really play together. So what I did was I actually took out all of the cards that don't have instructions and I replaced them with the instruction cards from the not safe for work deck. So it's the, the entire deck is uh, shuffles and look at the top three cards and uh, steal a card cards and attacks and everything. There's no, there's no like, kittens no no cats anymore they're just unexploded no cats anymore yeah so and that that kind of fixed it it made the made the game much more interactive but um i want to do some more tinkering with it to figure out if i can find a good mix of like fun in the early game as well as fun in the late game hmm i don't know if you yeah if you found that to be the case kyt yeah i sure sure those views um but also um is to bring to bring up something also you you brought up before the show like I th- well sort of it what it made me think like when I introduced this game to like non gamers um I introduced it at uh, when I was over my girlfriend's uh, house and and playing with uh, their family and um, not her parents or anything but but the people that were I guess closer to my age I guess um the first few turns they just they were turned off they thought it was boring. Actually, yeah, it it kind of is where you're just like you it's one of the things that I think the game needs is an element to um, maybe force interaction to where people are kind of afraid because naturally when you when you have a game like that, especially for people who are kind of new to it, they're kind of timid. They don't really want to do anything. They don't really want to hurt anybody else because they think it could come back and hurt them. I mean, I think that that's typical gaming group dynamics. And I, I agree with that, but I think that there's an onus on the person who's doing the game to play loose to encourage that behavior. Well, yeah, I mean, you can. Yeah. I mean, that's, but I think that there's also like, there's also kind of the, like, to say that that's the, that's the only thing that it takes, I think is, is not acknowledging that there might be a flaw in the game. Oh, yeah, no, the game is not perfect. Um, I'm just happy that it's a game that att- attracts the same crowd as Munchkin, but is better than Munchkin. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually think it. No, I actually think it. I, I disagree with the same crowd. I think Exploding Kittens is is a much more open game than Munchkin ever will be or can be. Uh I don't know, man. I just I, wow. the people who are really excited for Exploding Kitten. When you ask them what's a good board game or card game that they like to play, it always seems like they're Munchkin people. Okay, so they don't really understand what games are, and they played a lot of Munchkin, and it's got cute pictures and funny <laughs> ideas, so that they play they play uh, Exploding Kitten for the same reason. Okay, yeah, fair enough. That's kind of a douchey thing to say now that I look back in hindsight, but. I'll go with it. 
Yeah. I'm all, I'm also excited because I'm kind of shifting my board game collection and I'm getting rid yeah, of like, I, I hate Cards Against Humanity, for example. Like I'm 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 getting rid of my copy because I'm just tired of it. Like it's not really that fun to play. And I think that there are other other simple enough games that you can teach people that that have a very similar dynamic. So even that fighting game, um, I can't remember what it's called, but you basically you create oh, a fight. Yeah, the card fighter or something like that. I yeah. Think called that. Yeah, I know. I know which game you're talking about. But yeah, I, uh, I'm excited about. Uh, I'm getting I'm getting kittens in a blender, which is a fun, a fun group game. I don't know that one. Basically, you're supposed to save your kittens from getting in the blender. So, I'm getting okay. blended. Good concept. Good concept. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I played that a while ago. I don't remember if I liked it or not. Um, it's been a while, but uh, I've, I've definitely played a few games of it. Um, I actually want to go back to. I want to go back to Pandemic. Okay. Um, and why I want to go back to Pandemic is that when we were talking about Pandemic, I wanted to say something I totally forgot. I uh, didn't really forget, just didn't really see a good time to slot it in, but it's still nagging in my head. So. Um, my biggest complaint with Pandemic is that the alpha personality at the table has a tendency to take over the game. I've seen games of Pandemic turn into like one or two players playing the four-player game. And a couple other people just kind of sitting on the sidelines, not really participating, kind of getting pushed out of their own game. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of a... Uh, a unique thought, but that's that's one of my experiences with it. Um, have you guys tried out the XCOM car, uh, board game? I, I have not. I, I, I do see those problems within uh, cooperative games that require group uh, healthy group dynamics. Yes. So I definitely understand what you're talking about. Um, yeah. so, so, but uh, I'm curious where you're going. Yeah, so if you are having that dynamic and you like those co-op style games, one of the games I would definitely suggest is something like, uh, obviously a, a good suggestion is still uh, something like uh, Battlestar Galactica because you can always argue that the person who's trying to run the game might be evil and so on and so forth. You can't necessarily trust that person because of that. But the other aspect to it is is that um, in the XCOM game, it's a co-op game, but it's actually timed because the the AI, the the enemy of the game, is actually run off of like an iPhone app or something similar. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Like PC and stuff like that. So the the enemy is actually played by an app on your iPad or on your iPhone. And everything's timed and if you go if you use too much time, you actually get penalized for it. The game actually will hinder your ability to play uh because of that. So where that becomes like really cool for me is that the games that that's been a problem in the past for the you have somebody trying to dominate the game and trying to be in charge of the whole game they don't get to do that in this game because they're so busy doing all of their stuff because the game it it, it assigns four roles to players and those roles are responsible for a lot of stuff but not a ton of stuff in their own unique area and they do interact with other players so there's enough time to say like who needs this but there's not enough time for somebody to be like, okay, you should be doing this for that guy and this for that guy and that for that guy. Cause that guy's too damn busy trying to take care of his own stuff. So it puts a little bit of pressure on you 
to keep up with the pace of the game. And that makes the game a lot funner for everyone else involved because everybody has to carry their weight in that game. Cool. Yeah. So if you are having that type of situation, blah, 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 that's a really cool game to try. And what's the complexity level? Because I know before, so before the podcast, we, we actually talked a little bit about board games and how I'm, I'm culling from my collection a lot of the way more complex games that take a lot of time and that require a group of gamers to sit down and play because they're just too much. Um, they're, they're not good kitchen table games um, for people who want to have a game, play a game and have a conversation. They're more for people who want to invest like four weeks of learning this game so that they can start playing it optimally. Um, so like uh, I'm getting rid of Caverna and some others, but how does that game fit within that spectrum? I would say that it uh, it might be one step higher than uh, than pandemic. It might be just a little bit more complicated. And the only reason why I would kind of go to that point is that you in pandemic you have that personality who's going to guide everyone through those first couple games, who's going okay. to run the game for everybody so that they can kind of see what's supposed to happen. And this one here, that person's not necessarily available. It is to an extent, like three people could help the new person play the game. Uh, it's My wife is not a very geeky person. She plays some board games, but mostly because it's a passion of mine. I would have a tough time with her playing this game. So not okay. super friendly. But if you have a bunch of people that you play Magic with or that you play board games with, they don't have to be hardcore board game uh, fictionados, but if they're used to playing board games on a regular basis, if that's something that's really exciting for them, this game's going to work out fine for them. Uh, I'd say uh, no more complicated than like a Battlestar, no more complicated than a Lords of Waterdeep, like not a super complicated game. Okay. Uh, and the strategy is very tough to say because the game is very uh repeat playable because there's so many different ways you can play the game there's a bunch of different missions the different missions impact what type of enemies you run into which impacts what type of strategies you want to use uh there's difficulty levels so you can crank up the difficulty or crank down the difficulty so there's there's a lot of like really neat ways that the game kind of plays so cool yeah i'm excited about the problem the premise of uh of including technology Yes, you you have one person who is the scientist and their role is to develop new technologies for the different players to make everybody else's lives easier or make their own life easier. And uh, that's a a really cool way that they kind of do that. Um, It's just uh, the way that they kind of do that is the game is essentially a worker placement game. And I, I've already mentioned that I, I like worker placement games, but what it's doing is it is one person's in charge of the entire board. They're in charge of paying for everything. So how you do your worker placement is everyone's got all these resources that they can dump on the board, but at the end of the turn, you have to pay for it. And if you don't pay for it, then you end up taking, uh, you end up losing defense towards the aliens because it follows the XCOM uh, video game type thing that aliens are invading the earth. So one guy's got to pay for everything, and the guy who pays for everything is also responsible for uh, choosing missions and all that kind of stuff. Then there's one guy who's in charge of like the actual ground combat, so he defends the base, and he also attacks the missions and the final mission, and is responsible for um, 
maintaining his stock of different troops and their training and stuff. Then there's one person who, again, is in charge of the, the research. So their job is to uh, research new technologies for everybody, give people new abilities, and also can like affect individual turns by getting rid of a the opportunity to research a technology in the future. They can kind of do, instead of playing it as an enchantment, they can play it as an instant type thing. Um, and then there's one person who's the communication officer, and they're responsible for maintaining uh, defense in space. They're responsible for doing all kinds of like, they can kind of do the, the last minute tweaks so they can impact things that are already on the board. So if the game kind of changes up, because the tough part about it is that the enemy's turn is happening over a span of time. So some of the actions that you make at the beginning might end up being bad because while you might have put all your resources in place A, place B is actually the place that got hammered. And you can minimize that by having good communications because they can shoot down the alien satellites and keep up more satellites and kind of get a better picture of what's going on in the game. Also, the neat part is the communication officer, their job is to actually narrate the game with the app. They're the app person. So they're reading all the enemy stuff, directing people to put stuff on the boards, keeping track of the clock, letting people know how much time they have before we start running out of our bonus time and start getting penalized and our enemies getting uh, less time and all these kind of things. So they're really kind of just pushing everybody, okay, we got to go faster, we got to go faster. Well, you've got 10 seconds to make a decision on this. You've got five seconds, three seconds. Okay, now we're getting penalized. So it's a really neat game that while it might take an hour to play a game, it feels like it goes by in 15 minutes because you don't also run into that whole thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to go get a Coke. Uh, I'll be back in like five minutes or buddy's not paying attention to what's going on in the board game. If you're not involved, you're not playing the game. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was uh, like Exploding Kins. We had a lot of those. Oh, whose turn is it moments? Yeah. And that's like, that's not always indicative of a bad playing group. That's sometimes indicative of just a poor, poor game. But yeah, uh, XCOM sounds exciting. I'm, I'm, I added it to my Amazon wish list as you were speaking. So sweet. There we go. I sold the game. Whoever makes money. <laughs> All right. So our contest. Contest. Uh, yes, Jeremy. Have you been around for these contests? I was here for the first one. Okay. And right. the second one. The contest was usually you just playing a clip, and what was that clip? Uh, I changed it up, actually. Oh, sweet. Okay. If you listened to the A-Team at all. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. From the unofficial guy. <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. So I have been mixing up the way that I do these contests, and we'll be mixing them up in the future. Uh, the last week, the last time we recorded, I read a fortune a really bad fortune that I got from a fortune cookie that was probably the best part of the meal of every really bad Chinese buffet. So, and then I had them in the comments, I had our listeners match up a card of their choice with the fortune and okay. explain their reasoning. Oh, okay. So the fortune that I read uh, was, it is much wiser to take advice than to give it. So uh, we had, uh, Seven comments uh, okay. relevant to the contest. Um, so really, really creative, um, creative responses, even even ones that went outside of magic. Um, so I'm just going to read off the name and the response, and then you can go to the episode 259 webpage to read the relevant comments if you are curious about their reasoning. Um, so the uh, comments are in order. Samuel L. J. McKenna. 
Uh, he his card was Steam Augury. Uh, Stephen Tran, his card was Reigns of Power. Uh, classic, love it. Uh, Mandrew went uh, to Hearthstone, uh, which is that that's like another game or something that people play instead of Magic. It's like a like a worse Magic, right? Uh, Hearthstone's neat, <laughs> but he his card was the coin, uh, which I'm I am assuming is relevant to uh, people who know. Uh, Do you Hearthstone. know Hearthstone, or are you just pretending? I don't. I mean, I know of the game, and I know a little bit about it. I've seen I've seen a couple games, but I've I've never really known, uh, never really pursued it much more than that. I don't have an yeah. account or anything. So the concept of the coin is that Hearthstone is very built on uh, on uh, curving out. Yeah. And the coin is essentially, if you go second, you get a Simeon Spirit Guide. Okay. That's uh, that's pretty much how it works. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he talked about actually. So his comment was more to the uh, ha- uh, using the wisdom he's he's gained to properly play the coin. Um, Michael Tian, uh, his card was Cowed by Wisdom. Uh, Dan L, his card was Sizzle, another classic. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Alex Walsh, his card was Prime Time, um, okay. relevant to the red green uh, shift discussion. And then Max Roche uh, wrote a brilliant little piece about uh thought seize. Okay. Really cool. That's a good one. I like that one. Um so my choice now some people went to further links than this winner uh to explain their choice and their work did not go unnoticed. But um uh, I have a soft spot for this card and this block. Uh cowed by wisdom from Michael Tian, I chose your card uh, to embody this fortune uh, because I just you didn't give much of an explanation, which was which was fine, um, but I felt like it was really spot on and just brought me back to a nice old magic place. Um, so, Michael Tian, uh, if you could send your mailing address uh, to kyt at deprived dot com. And uh, I will send out a GP playmat for you. And uh, this week's contest, um, I have to say, though, the last week's, there were a lot of runners up. Uh, the Thought Seize was great. Um, the coin was great. Uh, hell, they were all, uh, they were just all good. Um, you guys did a great job with this one. But um, I got a new fortune, and I'm going to run this contest back. Uh, the run fortune, it back, run it back. Yeah, yeah. So the fortune I felt uh, had actually some a strong thematic similarity to uh, Battle for Zendikar and Zendikar block in general. Um, and I don't remember where I found this fortune. Uh, but it just appeared in my pocket, and I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so the fortune is, emptiness is the mother of all things. Now I'm going to limit this contest to cards that are printed that were printed in Zendikar, World Wake, Rise of Eldrazi, and then the new Zendikar block only. So you have those five sets to choose from for your answer. Uh, emptiness is the mother of all things. It's very nihilistic for a fortune cookie. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, that is the new contest, and congratulations, Michael Tian, for. I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. If I'm not, 
please let me know. Um, uh, and that, uh, that is my contest. Neat. Um, if I was in last contest, uh, I think I would have went with Spelljack. Okay. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Uh, I just, I, I like the whole concept of just taking someone else's advice, like literally taking their card and casting it better than just casting my own. I'd rather cast their spell. Okay. Uh, I, that I was a soft spot for Spelljack. Yeah. Max Roche kind of went with his um, uh, Thoughtseize. Thoughtseize uh, and uh, yeah. Stephen Tran with Reigns of Power. That was yeah. basically their kind of logic. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of like where they're going with that. I I really like that. Um, This one, geez, this one's really neat. Um, But I figured, you know, with the void being um, such a strong theme in uh, Zendikar blocks and, you know, emptiness and uh, uh, just complete obliteration, I thought, you know, this would be a good one. So um, I'm I'm just going to throw one out right now just to take one away from everyone else. I'm going to go with Seagate Wreckage. Okay. You know, uh, it is going to be the case where when there's nothing left, it's going to be the card that's going to give you everything. It's going to be the mother. It's going to be the, the way to rebuild your whole, uh, your whole uh, game. Nice. So is that the show? We're good? That is the show. All right. So uh, I guess we will see you all. And hopefully if Kyle gets to edit all this stuff, we will see you all next Monday, and hopefully, uh, I mean, not next Monday, next Thursday. Thursday. Hey, hopefully is there a we'll closer get... this weekend? Is that, no, it's, pre, it's pre-release weekend. Or, yeah, it's yeah, pre-release yeah. weekend. Yeah. By the yeah. way, shout out to a uh, friend of the show and uh, honorary Canadian Josh McLean for top eight in GP Oakland. Yeah. And shout out to Reed for winning. <laughs> I also have, like, the random guy in our community who's a conspiracy theorist who thinks that a 64-card deck is actually, like, super sketchy. Ah. Because apparently, like, if you are doing perfect ruffles or something like that, you only have to shuffle the deck eight times to get it to return to its original configuration. Whereas, like, with a 60-card deck, you have to do it, like, 50-some-odd times. So a 64-card deck is actually really easy to shuffle manipulate um, and that huh. you should be super cautious of that type of thing and that apparently there are people out there who know this and can demonstrate it and have demonstrated it and he thought that the whole Ben Rubin having a 64 card deck was super sketchy even though you know Buddy's a Hall of Famer and doesn't really have a good reason to <laughs> sketch so uh, see those those conspiracy theorists though they don't ever take into account the fact that your opponent shuffles your deck like just shuffle so, the shit out of your opponent's deck yes absolutely and, and that is a very fair statement and we we obviously discussed that but we all know at magic tournaments that every now and then a guy will just cut a deck and a single cut a two cut not gonna really impact you know your ability to kind of mana weave your deck uh Obviously, you want to shuffle your opponent's deck, shuffle your opponent's deck, sufficiently randomized, uh, but it's, it's a low opportunity cost gambit to run on somebody is like their whole argument. So I thought that was really interesting to see that discussion come up. In this case here, I don't think that that's the case whatsoever, but it was, it was really funny to have somebody kind of like in my ear about how like, you got to watch out for those people. 64 card decks are... are <laughs> 
particularly nasty because of this, this, and that. Yeah, and, and actually, that's kind of neat. As someone who knows Ben Rubin, not well, but I know him and I know the people that he surrounded himself with, I, I don't ever think he would ever do that. No, exactly. I mean, I put him on accidentally writing 64 cards on his deck list and then realizing that round three when he shows up to pick up his deck. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then having to be like, oh, well, I guess I'm playing 64 cards. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do believe that. And there's a lot of folks who, like, again, like this guy here, he's like, well, you know, these guys are training for these tournaments and everything like that. It's like, no, they really aren't. They really aren't. They just kind of copy and paste the list and send it to a friend. And say, hey, can you put this together for me? It it happens all the time. These players are doing well in tournaments because they're just sickos and they can just pick up a deck that they played with a couple times and stomp you with it. And it's that bad. So, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Shout out to Kyle for being Kyle. If he gets to the to this point, um, <laughs> sorry, and, uh, we we yeah. had a lot built up. You know, we had three weeks. We got We had to kind of get it all out. Next week, next week we'll go back to normal. Yeah, this was just the case of tantric podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. See you all next week. Motherfuckers, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for missing it, guys. That is unbelievable. <laughs> What's unbelievable. the story? It better be a poop story. Oh, man. I don't even have a good poop story. You know what I was doing is I was coloring. <laughs> By your silence, I I could tell you're pleased. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't have to go in the show, Kyle, if you make it this far. Just go. No, I think, I think oh, this, no, is, no, this, is, this is going in the show. <laughs> But uh, I, I'm uh, using my executive decision. To put I this might in the tweet. Show. I'll tweet what I colored just so that there's proof. But uh, yeah, I was. I've just. I'm. I'm podcasted for like three months, right? Because of school, and then it's Tuesday, so it just wasn't in my phone either. My phone goes off on Mondays, and then I was sitting here and I was watching Dateline about some murder rapes and coloring <laughs> my fucking Game of Thrones coloring book. And then I like, and my phone was plugged in upstairs because I was making dinner, and my phone was gonna die. And then I, you know, went and got it at 9:30 ish, and was like, saw a KYT message, ETA. Oh no! <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I almost got fired from a job because I didn't go in, and my excuse was, I thought it was Sunday. It was it was actually Monday, and I was supposed to work on Monday, but it just never felt the whole day. It just didn't feel like a Monday. It felt like a Sunday. <laughs> Man, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Jay Bush misses his comeback fight, his title uh, defense <laughs> to a fucking coloring book. And you know, it was, I mean, it's a pretty good, like, I colored it pretty good. But, um. <laughs> I really hope Kyle throws this in. Oh my goodness. Like, an after the, the final, like, duo. Like, you know, just like the. the He's after so the proud. Credits.
Oh, like, man. It's, it's, like, awesome. it's pretty good. It looks pretty good. But even when it's not even like Starks or the Lannisters, it's like a pretty minor house that I was coloring. Can, can I ask what uh, media you were using to color? Like, are you using crayons or oh, pencil? pencil? Pencil crayons. Pencil crayons. Okay. Shading. Shading, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Metallics, yeah. Metallics, yeah. So, yeah. I, uh, here, I'll, um, I'll tweet a picture, all of you guys can look right now, I'll tweet a picture of, uh, what it, what my works, I call it my workspace, but it's probably not my workspace. Well, uh, you're, we're coloring in it, so yeah. it's obviously not your workspace. <laughs> you do work in your workspace. Very astute. Alright, let's, let's do it. Look at all these! Oh my god! <laughs> you even had people who I, you were excited about podcasting, and you tweeted your questions. Was, and... I was like super excited to come back. I was going to talk about a whole bunch of things. I had topics, <laughs> show notes, even. <laughs> you know, I feel like Ronda Rousey. You know, everybody's hyping me up and talking about how great I am, and then I went in there and tried to box with someone who could box and they just punched me in the face and I lost. Yeah, well, like 13 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I'll make it up to you guys next week, I guess, if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> if my coloring book finished. <laughs> <laughs>